So if you have a Bible with you this morning, let me encourage you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, special Mother's Day message is what we'll be looking at this morning. And here in 2 Kings, we're going to be talking about the widow's oil that was increasing. But I've entitled the message as Grace Pays the Debt. Grace Pays the Debt, 2 Kings chapter 4. We'll look at verses 1 through 7. Let me read our text and then we'll jump into our time together. Excuse me. Now the wife of the one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? She said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons, and as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Dear God, we're so excited this morning as we've already been singing, praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And we're excited to jump into the Old Testament this morning and to be reminded of an important message, an important story, a true teaching here of the provision that you provided for this widow on this, uh, this occasion, God. So we're praying as we see how you provided how your grace paid her debt, that we could be encouraged this morning. And I just pray again for our moms this morning as we see this woman's resolve, as we see her fortitude, as we see her her aggression to help provide for her children that you provided for her. And I pray that our moms would be blessed and encouraged this morning as we point out many things from this text that we could apply and think through and be encouraged by in our own life. And so be glorified in our time together this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mary Thomas was a single mom of nine children in Chicago's rough West Side neighborhood. Seven of Mary's nine children were young men who were constantly stretching the boundaries of their tired mother's authority and patience. One day in 1966, Mary opened up her front door to find 25 street thugs on her doorstep. The men, who were members of the notorious Vice Lord's gang, had come to recruit her seven sons. Mary, on hearing their intentions, dropped her gaze and said, hold on just a second, and she closed the door. When the door opened again, the first thing that the Vice Lord saw was the barrel of a loaded shotgun. (laughs) There's only one gang around here, and that's the Thomas gang. As you might imagine, the gangsters scattered like a bunch of scared puppies, and they never came back again. Miss Thomas and her babies weren't to be trifled with. And with that same fortitude, Mary ushered each of her nine Thomas gang members to their high school graduation one at a time. You may have heard of her youngest son, pro basketball player and Hall of Famer, Isaiah Thomas who had an outstanding career with the Detroit Pistons. And when Mary died at age 87, Isaiah told an ESPN reporter about her influence. My mom was very simple and very humble. She loved helping people. On her dresser in her bedroom, she has a saying, what's done in life will soon pass, what's done in love will always last. She just had a way of looking at you And it made you feel like everything was going to be all right. The way she observed me and perceived me and the way she looked at me, I felt like the most loved person in the world. And I'm going to miss that. Well, there's nothing more beautiful, is there, than the fierce, the dedication of a mother's love, 
A mother thinks about her children day and night. And even if they are not with her, she will always love them in a way that they will never fully understand. A novelist by the name of Agatha Christie has written, a mother's love for her child is like nothing else in the world. It knows no law, no limits. It dates all things and crushes down remorselessly all that stands in its path. And so many times on Mother's Day, we talk about the hard-pressed, exhausted, frazzled mother who is pulled into a million directions. And while at times that picture may be true, mothers are masters of multitasking. And we often forget that what drives her is a force to be reckoned with. Her love is as tender as a rose, immovable as granite, powerful as a thunderstorm. And when tested, that same love can react with the ferocity of a wild animal. And part of what makes, there you go, there's right there. Uh, and part of what makes a godly mom like that is her instinct. But part of what makes a godly mom like that is that she is a woman of the word. A Christian mother knows that her calling is from God. And she knows, therefore, she must spend time with Jesus to be the type of mom that God is going to enable her to be. In fact, did you hear about the mom who would find time each day in her busy day of motherhood to finally stop and relax and just for a few minutes read her Bible? She did this for years and Day after day, after her observing this habit, her four-year-old daughter asked her mom, aren't you ever going to finish reading that book? <laughs> well, you know that motherhood is truly set in when you offer to cut up other people's food. You stay in the bathroom for an extra minute just to be alone. You hope ketchup is a vegetable because it's the only one your kids will eat. You read the average five-year-old asks 492 questions a day and you feel proud because your child is above average. <laughs> you use your own saliva to clean your child's face. You count the sprinkles on each kid's cupcake to make sure they're all equal. You hear your mother's voice coming out of your own mouth. You stop criticizing the way your mother raised you. You hire a sitter just because you can't remember the last time you and your husband went out alone. And you spend half the date checking back on the kids. You say at least once a day, I'm not cut out for this job, but you wouldn't trade it for the world. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Being a mom. And this morning, I want us to take a look at a mom that maybe you have forgotten about, this mom that we've read about in 2 Kings chapter 4. In this passage, we see a mom who became a widow because the text tells us that her husband had died. And she had two sons, and she needs great help. And in this passage, we're going to see, number one, the problem faced by the widow. Number two, the plan given to the widow. And then number three, the provision supplied for the widow. Let's start with number one, the problem faced by the widow. Here we are, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. Your first blank just simply says, the setting. The setting. I know we haven't been in the Old Testament in a little while, so let me just remind you a little bit of 2 Kings chapter 4 when it says, now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha. Let me just kind of stop right there and let's jump in. And let me just remind you, we're in 2 Kings, which means there's a 1 Kings. And 1 Kings starts with the life of Solomon. That was David's son. And it ends with a divided kingdom. 2 Kings continues to describe what is happening in that divided kingdom with Israel to the north, consisting of 10 tribes, and Judah to the south with two tribes. Sadly, both kingdoms were disobeying God's word. And because of this, Israel would be captured and dispersed by the Assyrians, while Judah would be taken into exile for 70 years by the Babylonians. In spite of the best efforts of prophets like Elisha, to shock the nations back to their religious senses, it was too late. The kingdom divided in 1 Kings becomes the kingdom dissolved in 2 Kings. God's patience is long. God's pleading is persistent. But God's punishment is also consistent with his holy character. In chapter 1 of 2 Kings, we learn about the demise of King Ahariah. In chapter 2, we learn about the tra transition of spiritual leadership from the prophet Elijah to the prophet Elisha. 
In chapter 3 of this book, we learn about the difficult situation between King Jehoram and the Moabites who rebel against Israel. This brings us up to our text, 2 Kings chapter 4. Needless to say, this is not a great time in Israel's history. And other than the bright lights of Elijah and Elisha, the nation of Israel is a mess. Towards the end of the book, you have a little bit of good coming out of King Hezekiah and King Josiah, but it's too little, too late. And therefore, God's people are doomed. And basically, when Israel's kings kept God's word, God brought his blessings. But when Israel's kings failed to keep God's word, God brought his discipline. And God is seen both in First and Second Kings as the ultimate controller of history who reveals his plan to pursue his people. Tragically, though, the people were more concerned about their own plans and their rejection of God's rule led to exile at the hands of the Assyrians for the northern kingdom and the Babylonians for the southern kingdom. The kingdom of Israel was established in 1 Samuel. The kingdom was consolidated in 2 Samuel. 1 Kings records the kingdom's division and decline. And sadly, 2 Kings records its deterioration and its destruction. 2 Kings closes with Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, ransacking Jerusalem. The temple was completely destroyed. And 2 Kings ends with the judgment of God on Israel and Judah, particularly Judah's disobedience. And this was all the consequence of apostasy. They had turned away from their God. They were not following the Sabbaths. They were not keeping the law. And so God judged them. And even with all of this going on, there are more miracles in 2 Kings than any other book in the Old Testament, other than the book of Exodus. And this miracle of the increase of the widow's oil kicks off a smattering of many miracles. There was the miracle of the Shunammite son, the miracle of the deadly stew, the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves, the miracle of the healing of Naaman, and the miracle of the floating axe head. And it just kind of keeps going on and on. When you're reading through 2 Kings, you're like, what is up with this? This is awesome. You know, and then you read stuff and you're like, oh, that's horrible. And you're like, oh, that's really cool. That's horrible. That's cool. That's kind of what the book reads like. And I say all of that to say that at, this, at the beginning of these miracles in 2 Kings, the beginning of this is this story of this widow that tells us, God's word tells us how grace paid the debt of this poor widow in the midst of a difficult time in Israel's history. It's during difficult times that your true character shines through. It's during difficult times that God's grace proves to be more than enough. Listen to me this morning, moms. You may be in the midst of a difficult time in your life. Maybe not everything's so cheery here on Mother's Day for you. You may be in a very difficult time. You may be at wit's end. You may feel like there's no way out and you can't go on. Well, can I just remind you this morning that God's grace is enough. God knows your heart and he knows your difficulty and his grace is standing by, ready to shine through and be encouraged that whatever setting you find yourself in today, that God is with you. Be reminded of Isaiah 41.10 that says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Well, that's the setting that we're looking at here in the midst of 2 Kings, a beautiful miracle, much grace to supply this widow's need. And let's talk a little bit more about that. Your next blank says the situation the situation. Now again, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. The situation is that the poor widow of one of the godly prophets was in danger of losing her two sons to slavery because of her unpaid debts. Elijah and Elisha had a school for prophets. And those who attended the school were referred to as the sons of the prophets because their spiritual fathers were Elijah and Elisha. 
And this association of prophets would gather together to study the scriptures, and they had potentially modular teaching segments segments where they would be taught, and then they would also work the land, and they also had certain responsibilities of service. And so at this point, this widow, she was married to one of these sons of the prophets. She's crying out to Elisha, and she said, your servant, who would also be her husband, is now dead. She infers here that this prophet was a godly man. He was one who feared the Lord. He was a man of character and a man of purpose and who lived an honorable life. But her husband is now dead. And not only is this devastating news, but it also leads to a very difficult situation. The creditor has now come to take this widow and her two sons to be his slaves. You may ask, what in the world is going on here? Well, according to the Mosaic law given in Exodus chapter 21, verses 2 through 4, this action was actually permissible. Exodus 21, 2 through 4, when you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh year he shall go free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. So it's understood that from that passage that if there was a husband who died who was serving under a master, then that master then would take possession of and require the services of the mother and her children. I don't know that the prophet who died was actually a slave in the worst kind of slavery. It seems rather that he was more of a servant who helped work the land in order to provide for his wife and children. And at this point, some type of debt had accrued and the creditor is now placing pressure on the widow. And needless to say, she has no means to pay off the debt and she's gravely concerned that this forced employment on her sons would be detrimental to her well-being and to her family life. But you know what a mama does for her children. I mean, this reminds me a little bit of the parable of the persistent widow of Luke chapter 18. There was a widow who kept coming to the judge saying, give me justice against my adversary. And then we read in Luke 18, four through seven, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said to her, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? In other words, that parable that Jesus taught in Luke 18 talks about that if the unrighteous judge gave justice to that persistent widow, though he neither respected man or God, How much more will God take care of his own? And yet we're called and invited throughout scripture to come and ask, to come and ask. So what this woman is doing, this widow in 2 Kings 4, she's going to the right place. This widow is not coming to an unrighteous judge, but she's coming before a righteous prophet by the name Elisha. Elisha was a man of God. He was a preacher of the truth. Elisha was a worker of miracles. She had come to the right man. Mothers, When you have a problem that seems bigger than life, when you have an issue that you cannot solve by yourself, when you are overwhelmed with the circumstances of your life, put your hope in God. Put your trust in his word. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the judge of the living and the dead, and see what it is that God will do for you. Psalm 43, verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 66, verses 17 through 20, I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. It's a great passage. They're written for you there in your outline that you could go to time and time again just to be reminded, you know what? I can call out to God. 
I'm in a difficult time. I don't know what to do with my kids. I don't know what to do about my situation. My finances are tough. My husband's gone, or maybe he's not being the husband that he should be. That's where you elbow them, right there. You know, but you understand that your situation today, you have to ultimately bring it to the Lord. You have to bring it to God. Bring your problem to God. Bring your troubles to him. He is enough, and he will not reject your prayer, and his steadfast love will never be removed from you. And so we see here in this narrative account, the setting, we've seen the situation, and now let's look at your next blank, the solution. The solution there in verse 2, and Elisha says to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Now in this verse, Elisha is starting to come up with a solution for the widow's financial problems. And I've got to share with you, I was personally convicted as I studied this passage this week because I thought through, how would I have responded to the widow? I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be caring for people. If this widow would have came to me, I'm also a biblical counselor. How would I have responded to comfort this widow? And I probably would have started there. If it were just me, I would have tried to comfort her in her loss. I would have wanted to have reminded her that God will never leave her or forsake her. I would have wanted to remind her that God is our comfort and our help in the midst of trials. I would have wanted to have shared with her something like Psalm 118 verses 6 through 7 that says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. I mean, if I was counseling with this widow, I would have wanted to have reminded her that God is with us on the good days and God is with us on the bad days. And I would have wanted to somehow connected God's sovereignty with God's goodness and probably told her that God wants to teach her more about his love and his comfort and how he is our help. And I would have wanted to share with her from Psalm 121, verse 3, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will never slumber. You say, Adam, that's pretty good. Well, Elisha didn't have the Psalms yet. So if you're really sharp, you're like, well, you couldn't have counseled those verses because they weren't written yet. So what would you have done? I would have turned to Job then. Job was already out. I would have gone to Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. And I would have maybe wanted to share with her from Job 19, 25. For I know that my redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. I probably would have even taken her to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. That says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. But that's not what Elisha did. I mean, he could have done some of that. It's just not recorded for us in scripture. So what did Elisha do? He began to think through how to meet her practical need. James often reminds us of this in James 2, 15 through 17. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, And if one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Elisha wanted to help this woman with her practical needs. And oh, how that was just a helpful reminder for me. I just tend to gravitate sometimes towards the spiritual. What does God's word say and what does God's word say we should think and do? And I'm not saying we should ever abandon that, but I'm just being reminded this morning through Elisha's simple answer. He's like, hey, what you got around the house? We're going to help you, girl. We're going to take care of you. We're going to make sure that you have what you need. Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Now, the way she says that is obviously she's a pessimist. I ain't got nothing except this one jar of oil. It seems pretty dark, right? There's no way this is going to help. The woman must have been thinking, well, what good is that? I mean, all I have is a little olive oil, which would, could, could be used medicinally to rub on the body or it could be used for cooking. But what good is that? Well, God often begins with what we already have. And Moses had a rod in his hand and God used it to accomplish great things. After Moses saw the burning bush, God wanted Moses to go deliver the Israelites out of the bondage in Egypt, and Moses felt ill-prepared for such a task. 
And we read in Exodus 4, 2, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Again, it's the same approach. The Lord didn't say, hey, Moses, you're mighty, you're strong. He just said, hey, Moses, what, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And we know that God used that staff to part the Red Sea and to bring water from the rock. Peter and the other fishermen had nets in their hands. And with those nets, God gave them more fish than they could carry. The feeding of the 5,000, the little boy had five loaves and two fish. But what were they among so many? All the poor widow had was a little oil in a vessel, but little is much when God is in it. What a great reminder for us today. This is exactly what Philippians 4.19 says. And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Sometimes the solution is right in front of you. I'm not saying that the solution is always a miracle. But the, the solution could be found in you having a new perspective, a new attitude, a new faith in God to supply. Moms, take what you have. Take what you know. Take what God has already provided. Be thankful and walk by faith. Well, now that we've seen the problem faced by the widow, let's take a look at number two, the plan given to the widow. Your next blank says, gather empty vessels. Verse three, and then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. So Elisha asked this widow to borrow every empty vessel that she could find. Borrow, beg, but don't steal. She has to make sure that the vessels were empty. And she was to gather as many as she could. And these vessels would have been clay pots that would have been used for household needs. And sometimes what is asked of us is something so simple. Sometimes what is asked of us is something really practical. Sometimes what is asked of us doesn't make sense at first. I mean, the next part of this same chapter is the raising of the Shumanite's son, Verses 8 through 37, you can glance at there that I'm not going to read it to you, but basically in verses 8 through 37, there's this woman from Shuman, who is in the, which is in the Jezreel Valley in northern Israel. She had no son. God miraculously gave her a son, and then that son died. And the Shumanite woman sent for Elisha, and, she sent, and uh, he sent his servant Gehazi to go ahead of him and lay his staff over that dead son's body. And when Elisha arrived on the scene, he went into the room and closed the door behind him and he raised the boy from the dead. In the very next passage after that, look at this one with me, if you will, verse 38 through 41, in the midst of this famine, there we see there was a deadly stew that, made, that was made uh, which the people could not eat. Verse 38, and Elisha came again to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land and as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. And one of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered it from his lap full of wild gourds. And he came and cut them off into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some, of the, uh, poured out some for the men to eat. And while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in this pot. And they could not eat it. So apparently somebody had added this poisonous vine, these gourds to the stew. And when they tasted it, somebody recognized this is poisonous. It could cause us to die. They could not eat it. What happened? Verse 41. Then he said, bring flour. And they threw it into the pot and said, pour some out for the man that they may eat it. And there was no harm in the pot. There you go. God's teaching us how to cook. Ladies, just throw some flour in there. Throw, throw, throw something in there like that, right? But we see this is a miracle. It's something really simple. Elisha's showing us time and time again, there's something simple that could be a, 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 a solution to the problem. Elisha simply told the people to put some flour in the stew and the stew is purified. Here's a pattern. You have a big problem, but the solution is so simple. Just do exactly what God tells you to do and then see what God does. And right after the miracle of the stew, there's another miracle, just as simple. Look at verses 42. As the famine's continuing, a man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God uh, bread, uh, bringing the man of God bread 
of their first fruits, how much bread did he bring? 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the man that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So obviously he's saying 20 loaves is not enough for a hundred men. So why should I provide this? He said, and then he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat for thus the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. A little bit of bread went a long way when God was in it and when they obeyed and did what the prophet said, God always showed up. In the very next chapter, 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman, who was the commander of the army of the kings of Syria, had leprosy and he came to Elisha to be healed and Elisha told him to go wash himself in the Jordan River seven times and he would be healed. Well, first Naaman refused, but when he finally did decide it, the Bible says that when he obeyed, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. So again, follow this with me. In 2 Kings chapter 4 and 5, Elisha provides the oil. He raises the Shunammite's son. He purifies the stew. He multiplies the loaves. He cleanses Naaman from his leprosy. Question, does any of this sound familiar to you, these particular miracles? In many ways, these miracles of Elisha point directly to the true prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ also performed very similar miracles by giving similar instructions. In John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, when they ran out of wine at the wedding in Cana, Mary told the disciples, do whatever he tells you. And Jesus told them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And when they took and drew some of the water and took it to the master of the feast, and when he had tasted the water become wine, he said, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. In Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 42, when Jairus' daughter had died, Jesus came with Peter, James, and John. And when he came to the house, he went inside, shut the door behind him, and he raised the child from the dead. In Mark chapter 7, verse 19, Jesus declared that all foods are clean. Acts 10, 15, Jesus said to Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, and they had food left over. In Matthew chapter 8, 1 through 4, Jesus heals a leper and made him clean. The miracles that Elisha does in 2 Kings chapters 4 and 5 point to the miracles that Christ does in the Gospels. And this all starts with this widow. It all starts with her and the grace that she needed in order to pay her debts. The plan to the widow was very simple. It started with something very easy. Gather as many empty vessels as you can find. The widow could have said, well, why am I going to do that? But she didn't. Just, you, just, you just go and you do what I'm telling you. You go gather as many empty vessels as you can find. Moms, if you want to see God's blessings and God's provision in your life, start with the little simple things in your life that God has called you to do. Find some time each day and spend it with Jesus. Keep reading that book so much that your kids ask, aren't you ever gonna finish that? Right, pray to the Lord of the harvest to provide for your needs. Trust that God will empower you and enable you and equip you to do the job that he's called you to do. And so the plan for the widow was to gather empty vessels and then she was to, your next blank, she was to go inside and shut the door. Verse four, really simple. Again, she's just gonna go inside and, and close the door behind her, then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into these vessels. And then when one is full, set it aside. Again, there's not a whole lot to say here other than sometimes God wants you to do what he wants you to do in secret. That's just the way God works sometimes. It wasn't a public show. Elisha didn't make a real big deal about it. He didn't want all the neighbors crowding into that room. He wanted her to go do what she did. And we've already read a couple of times that the miracle worker oftentimes goes into the room and shuts the door behind him. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 3 and 4, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Matthew 6, verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret 
and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Matthew 6, verses 17 through 18. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your father who is in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. There's something special at times where God instructed those that he's giving instructions to, to go do what I've asked you to do in secret. And so for whatever reason, God wanted this widow to see the miracle in the secret of her own house. And it would be just for her and her two sons. Think about that for a moment, just her and her two sons, a private moment, a precious moment, a priceless moment that would have been shared between her and her children. As a mother, making memories with your kids is sometimes the richest experiences you will ever afford in this life. Enjoy those moments. Thank God for them. Allow God's spirit to work in you and through you in a way that will bless your kids forever. Call your kids into your room. Say, kids, close the door. I just want to talk to you for a moment about the goodness of God. I want to open up his word with you just for a moment to tell you how good he is. So gather empty vessels, go inside the privacy of your home, and then third, get busy pouring. Get busy pouring. The last part of verse 2 says again that she went in with her sons and poured into these vessels, and when one is full, set it aside. This is a reminder that we are, be, we are to be doing what God has called us to do. This mom has an opportunity to obey God's word from the prophet Elisha and to get busy doing what God has called her to do. She has a choice at this moment to either obey or disobey the clear direction that was given to her. We, of course, see this principle throughout the Bible. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. I mean, what if this widow would have just heard? That's what Naaman did at first. He just heard what Elisha said. And he's like, I'm not doing that. And then it was Naaman's servant. He said, hey, man, we came all this way. You might as well just do it. And he did it, and he was healed of his leprosy. But this woman doesn't respond that way. She just does it. She does. She didn't just listen. Our faith isn't just a theory. It's a function. And if we want to obey God, we need faith to put it into practice. 1 John 2, 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Moms, what is it that God has called you to do? I love the reminder of the excellent wife in Proverbs 31, 26 through 29. It says she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. I'm just encouraging you. Like, hey, this is a reminder. God, help me just to do what you want me to do today. I aspire to be a, a godly, dependent mom. I want to just follow the simple steps that you lay out for me in Scripture. It doesn't have to be super complicated. Just do what it is that God's asked you to do. I'm so thankful to see so many of you living this out. I really do. I, 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 see, I see my wife living this out day by day. I've seen my mom Live this out day by day. I'm thankful to all the moms I know in this church who I see just living it out every day. Just the simple thing of loving your kids, providing for them, being a friend to them, being a mom to them, being a parent, being a Bible teacher, being there when they have their boo-boos. You get to be there for them. It's an incredible grace that God's provided. And I'm so thankful that so many moms are indeed attempting to live this out for the glory of God in the power of the Spirit. And so we see what happens here, the problem that was faced by the widow, the plan that was given to the widow. Let's look at number three, the provision supplied for the widow. Verse five, your next blank simply says, grace empowers us to obey. Grace empowers us to obey. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. Again, all of this is only made possible by the grace of God. The fact that this woman was married was an act of grace. 
The fact that her husband was a man who feared the Lord was God's grace. The fact that the woman had two sons was a work of grace. The fact that this widow was able to approach Elisha with her problem was an act of grace. The fact that Elisha was able to give the woman a divine plan was an act of grace. And now the fact that the woman is obeying is also a divine act of grace. You and I are not able to obey God's word on our own. If we were left to ourselves, there's no ability for us to obey God's word. Even obeying God's word is an act of grace. We're reminded of this in Romans chapter 8, verses 7 through 10, that says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Ever felt like that? You're like, I just can't do it. And the scriptures say, of course you can't in your own strength particularly if you're unregenerated. Those who are in the flesh, Romans 8, 8, cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh. You're in Christ this morning and you're thinking, I just can't. I just can't, I can't keep doing this. The Bible's saying, but if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Just reminding us this morning, moms, the same grace that empowered this widow to obey by faith is the same grace that empowers you to walk by faith. And as this mom is pouring oil into the vessels, she's also teaching her children to walk in obedience. And where are her two sons? Remember, they're right there with her. He said, hey, bring in your two sons, close the door, and now mama's not only teaching them with her mouth, she's showing them with her hands. Mama's just living it out, a life of faith in the privacy of her home. Certainly Deuteronomy 4.9 teaches us this directly, only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. In other words, he's saying, hey, moms, remind, dads and moms both remind your children of the power of God, of the provision of God, of the greatness of God, as they had many reasons to rejoice, the Israelites did, of all that God had set them free from. This widow had seen great things, and this mom was making sure to teach them and to make them known to her children. And moms, it's not only, again, what you teach with your mouth, but it's what you demonstrate by your faithful example. And then we see in verse six, grace encourages us to keep going. Verse six, grace encourages us to keep going. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. I love how the widow keeps going and going and going until the vessels are all filled up. In fact, I would say the saddest part of the whole passage is when the mother asks for another vessel and one of the sons says, we have no more. Then the oil stopped flowing. At that point, I'm just like, well, that's no fun. (laughs) I mean, we had the party going on, let's keep going. I don't think that's a a condemnation against the, the widow, by the way. I think that she did gather all that she was able to gather. I think that she was faithful to do exactly what Elisha had told her to do. The amount of oil she received, though, was limited by the number of vessels she had, and that was controlled by her faith as well as what she had available to her. This reminds me of Jesus, what he said to the blind men in Matthew 9, 27 through 30. Jesus passed on from there. Two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, may it be done to you. According to your faith, may it be done to you. And then their eyes were opened. Well, that's certainly a great reminder for us this morning. Moms, how much faith do you have this morning? Grace encourages us to keep on going. When you get to the end of your own strength, grace carries you on. When your well is dry, grace replenishes you with living water. When your cup is empty, grace refills your cup 
until it is running over. When you're tempted to quit, grace preserves you and your soul to help the next step. And when, your face is, uh, when you face obstacles, grace gets you over the hump. And when you struggle with doubt, grace bolsters your faith. And when you are discouraged, grace holds you up. And when you are downcast, grace gives you hope. And when you're out of energy, strength, and ability, grace encourages you to keep on going. Moms, never forget that Jesus said in John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's almost like we just see, hey, you're a vessel. You have the opportunity to demonstrate incredible spiritual truths as you live out your motherhood. As a wife, as a mom, this morning you have the opportunity to show that living water because God always meets your need. He always supplies more than enough. And that leads us to verse 7, that grace enables us, grace enables us to deal with life's challenges. Verse 7, she came and told the man of God and said, go sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on the rest. Well, what a great ending to this story. The woman shared with Elisha what happened, and he quickly blessed her to use the prophet to pay off her debts and to provide for her future. The Lord may not always perform such miracles of this kind to help us pay our debts, but he does meet our needs if we trust and obey. And this story demonstrates God's care for his faithful ones who lived in apostate Israel at this time. If the people of Israel had have been living according to God's word, they would have helped this widow. I don't think they would have advantaged that passage out of Exodus to exploit the widow. I think the godly community of Israel, had they been walking by faith, would be like, we've got to help her out. This miracle demonstrates God's compassion and his power to provide for the victims of a corrupt people. Widows were always vulnerable, and the widow of a prophet could have been even more needy. And yet God miraculously cared for this faithful, dependent mother. Psalm 37, verse 25, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. What is the measure of your faith this morning? Luke uh, 6.38, Jesus said, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Just saying, this is all of grace. If we give everything to him, he can make little go a long way. And this miracle also should remind us, I said all these miracles in 2 Kings 4 and 5 point to Christ, where he did many similar miracles as the true prophet, priest, and king. But certainly this particular miracle would also remind us that we all owe a debt. You see, you and I are more like this widow than we know because we owe God a debt we could never pay. And if on your own, you try to somehow take care of that debt by your own means in your own effort, apart from the provision in which God has provided, then you will be doomed and I will be doomed. But the good news is all of us this morning as poor widows who owe God a debt that we could never pay, that God has already supplied something better than oil. And he's supplied something better than water. He's given us a lamb the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And this is all of grace. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, canceling out the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. If you're here this morning, and you hear nothing else that I say in this entire message, hear this, grace pays your debt. No matter who you are this morning, you might have come just to honor your mom for Mother's Day. If so, we're so thankful that you did. 
But all of us in here this morning need to be reminded we owe God a debt that we could never pay and God provides that payment through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God's grace to needy sinners sets us free from the debt and the slavery that we are to our old life because he gives us a new life. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Warren Wearsby, well-known pastor and commentator, said on this passage, quote, it didn't cost Elisha anything for God to provide the needed money to pay the debt, but it cost Jesus Christ his life to be able to forgive our sins and to pay your debt. What a reminder this morning that grace pays our debts. And the take-home section of your notes here, how can your problem be solved by sometimes God taking what you already have, blessing it, and then using grace to fix the problem? I know it's a simple solution, but it just kind of reminds us, just start right there. What do you have? What, he's he, what has he already given Start with what you have and walk by faith. That second point says, are you willing to walk by faith and carry out God's plan for you given in his word even when it doesn't make sense? Again, I don't think God speaks to us mystically today, like go out to your neighbors and get a bunch of empty vessels. You know what I'm saying? But he does say, you know what? You walk by faith. You follow everything that this book says. Even when it doesn't make sense, you submit, you follow, you get counsel, you get help, you lay out your life before the Lord. You do what he's called you to do. And as you keep walking by faith, I believe that God will come alongside whatever it is that he's called you to do. Your last bullet point says, do you see how the grace that God provides in this life is always pointing to the saving grace that he has already provided for you on the cross? Every measure of provision that God gives ought to be pointing us to that ultimate provision of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as we get ready to sing our last song, I just want to invite you after we sing, we'll have a few people standing right up here by this door. And if you're here this morning and you're like that widow who owes God a great debt and you don't know what to do and you would want to come today if you could before the prophet Elisha and say, how am I going to pay my debt? He would point you to the greater Elijah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all we want to do with you this morning. If you have a need to come to Saving Faith, please come talk to us after this last song. Or if you're here this morning and you're a mom and you just want prayer or encouragement or you're anyone attending the service, our joy is to just come alongside where you are to, to help encourage you through the promises that we see in scripture and to remind one another that grace pays our debts. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity to dig into our Old Testament and be refreshed and reminded of some of the history of Israel and some of the difficulties they went through. And yet in the midst of those difficulties, we see grace. We see you providing for this poor unnamed widow whose husband was in the ministry, who died, and all she had was a little oil at home. Just thank you, God, for touching our hearts this morning through the truth of your personal care for her. And just remind us today, God, that that's the way you personally care for each one of your own. I pray that this morning we would come, if we're broken, if we're empty, if we're all dried up, God, we want to come to you this morning and ask that you would fill us up with your truth and with your grace. I pray, God, for our moms this morning, that you would just greatly encourage them that they would see this, again, it's just an example. All of us can benefit from it, but certainly mothers might identify a little bit more with what this widow may have felt and the, and the joy that was in her heart when she saw that all of her needs were met. So I pray that you would be glorified today as we seek to honor our moms, as we seek to focus on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, fellowship together in a way that we could rejoice that our debts have been paid. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.